Welcome to a special presentation of Behind the Page, where we at Marvel vs. Marvel revisit the comic book histories of some of your favourite Marvel characters. If you're joining us for the first time, each and every episode of MVM is packed with this kind of history and trivia as we explore the Marvel movies and the comic books that inspired them. Amazing Spider-Man 2, um, uh, as we've alluded to, is really the the most noteworthy thing we can talk about with this film, Will, is the death of Gwen Stacy. Yes, yes. Um, and let's just say right off the bat that it's very hard for us to imagine today the huge impact that the death, this storyline had um, when it came out in, 19, in, in the early 70s. Major characters did not die like this. Mm. It had never happened before, and not just in uh, in in comic books. If you think, if you think of the 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 world we live in now with like long book series, long long movie franchises like Harry Potter. When a major character dies in that, that has a resonance. But yeah. we're used, to, you know, we we have an an understanding of it. Fast and the Furious, you know, massive long franchise. Characters die in that. Star Wars, now it's got to this level. Characters die in that. But 1973, we did not have anything like that happening. People opened up their Spider-Man comic one day, and they saw their childhood sweetheart, their dream girl, getting murdered, and the hero failing to save the day. Yeah, Gwen Stacy's death had a a huge impact on Marvel Comics and, and their their readers as well. It's held up as the the end of innocence mm. for those readers, the end of their childhood. Um, 1973, when the comic comes out, ties in with things like, well, with America losing its, its innocence, the Watergate scandal, yes. the public hearings are about to, the Senate hearings are about to start, it's been all in the papers, um, the, the public backlash to the Vietnam War, cops beating up college kids and hippies, uh, protests and, and, and demonstrations, the quote-unquote innocence of a decade, two decades previous is gone. Comic book historians refer to different eras in, in history by you know you have the golden age which was kind of pre-war and 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 through into the 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 50s and then the silver age which lasted from the 50s and so forth on the silver age um kind of lasted from 1956 and was the full of the post-war euphoria yeah and a um a national thirst but also perhaps a western thirst for stories of heroes and good guys clean cut Right, police heroes, FBI, astronauts. We were going to the moon, and 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 <laughs> superheroes. Well, idealistic, clean cut men of what you might call the Kennedy era. Yeah, but by the end of this nineteen sixties, this was all changing in 
the national discourse, the Western discourse. Comic books began telling stories about flawed heroes. Tentatively to begin with, not an outpouring, not an overwhelming cavalcade of it. But they started to tell stories about heroes that were kind of beaten down and roughed up by the modern world. In 1970, the Denny O'Neill and the very recently dearly departed Neil Adams took over Green Lantern in DC Comics and began telling stories about civil rights and drug use and social justice, um, or including those elements, not necessarily stories about those things all the time, sometimes they were, but including those in the stories, how much a superhero failed to be of any real use in, in big, important, real matters like that. Green Lantern and Green Arrow travelled across America, Easy Rider style, being exposed to the dark underbelly of the American dream. Some historians will point to that as the beginning of a new age in comic books called the Bronze Age. Mm. And the Bronze Age is typified by a bunch of things, but strong, most strongly, it's stories, it's, it's stories becoming a bit more sophisticated that tell tales about social issues and reflect kind of the changing world. The idealism is gone. And the Bronze Age began to reflect that social commentary and flawed heroes and whilst Danny O'Neill and uh, Neil Adams may well have started the Bronze Age in 1970 the Silver Age the Age of Innocence really came to a, a crashing end three years later um, with the night Gwen Stacy died which is the title of mm. the comic where it happened why this came about we go real behind the page and start to talk and listen to the the people in charge and it's almost like a conspiracy where we're trying to figure out who pulled the trigger who had the idea who came up with what was going to happen and there's actually a bunch of conflicting stories on on who came up with exactly this idea amongst the people we know were definitely involved nothing was written down so we are relying on the memories of you know four or five people um the key players, the 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 Stanley, of course, Stanley, uh, nineteen seventy three. We chatted about this. He's no longer the editor in chief, so he's no longer creatively involved in Marvel. Mm. He's the president of Marvel Comics, so it's a lot more business moves and bigger picture stuff. Um, ch- check out our <laughs> Spider Mobile episode for more on oh, Stan's yes. presidency. Um, the editor of Spider Man is Roy Thomas, who is. Um, Stanley's right hand man and successor he's followed him on a dozen different comics from X-Men to Avengers and now um, he's the editor of the Spider-Man line the writer of Spider-Man is Jerry Conway he's 21 years old and he's writing The Amazing Spider-Man and he's replaced Stanley as the writer that's a huge weird burden it's the incredibly artist- weird yeah, the reason behind this is that, quite frankly, older artists and writers wanted better working conditions, unionization, and better pay. <laughs> so Marvel and DC went, yeah, but there's all these 20 year olds that would desperately love to work for us and we can pay them not a lot. Oh. Um, the artist of this story is Gil Kane, but he didn't really play uh, um, a role in the conception mm. before the script was made. And the 
The other key figure in this, really oddly, is the inker. You don't always necessarily think of the inker, the person that inks the pencils of the artist, to be a prominent figure in some of these decision-making times. However, this inker is John Romita. John Romita is a huge, towering figure in Spider-Man history. He's <laughs> perhaps the most important Spider-Man artist of all time after Steve Ditko, the create the co-creator. Mm. Um, and at this point, he's not just... I don't know why he's inking the book, but he is Marvel's art director. That's a big, big, big position. He draws Spider-Man like 600 times a day for lunchboxes, stickers, um, trading cards, and balloons, and cakes, and he's the man. So 1973, this story starts with Marvel wanting to kill Aunt May. If you can believe such a thing. Um, <laughs> they wanted a big dramatic story to shake up the Spider-Man comic, to shake up uh, Peter Parker's supporting cast, and to leave a big impression on the readers. And they decided the way to do that, the easiest way to do that, is to kill off Aunt May. Um, when planning how to go about getting this done, Jerry Conway and John Romita, the Inca, the art director, eventually agree that killing Aunt May would serve no purpose in the Spider-Man stories yep. going on. They they agreed that actually killing off Aunt May would make Peter Parker's life easier. It would remove <laughs> it would remove some of the huge recurring obstacles to his dual life. Mm. He would worry less about being Spider-Man. He'd worry less about having someone to be responsible for, earning money. He'd worry less about his enemies attacking him. And making a main character's life easier is a terrible idea and not the job of anybody involved in writing an ongoing story. Your character's life needs to be fraught with obstacles and barriers, tensions and trip-ups. So getting rid of Aunt May, not ideal. Conway and Ramita decide that to have this desired impact on, on, on Peter Parker's life, the stories, to have the impact on, this, on, on the readers as well, that they should kill off either Gwen Stacy or Mary Jane. Ooh. It's up in the air. It's a like things could have gone very differently, and we could have lived in a world where Mary Jane gets bumped off, and Gwen Stacy has been around for decades and decades. Wow. Because, well, Ramita argued that Gwen Stacy should be the character that, that gets killed off. He and he argues it because. It should be Peter Parker's girlfriend, the love of his life, and not just his friend, Mary Jane, who yeah, is I mean, a lesser character. I mean, at that point, she has been introduced, right? Would you say? Because she spent some time being a back... Almost... Right. Yeah. No, yeah, at this point, 1973, she's Harry Osborne's girlfriend. Okay. And she makes up a uh, a good part of Peter Parker's supporting cast. It's Pete and Gwen... Harry and MJ and some of their other friends as well. That's like the you know Flash Thompson and mm. that's kind of the main group. Uh, John Romita gave an interview where he said, "The reason I said we should kill off Gwen Stacy was that Mary Jane was an airhead, an airhead comedy character at the time. <laughs> she was there to jazz the place up. She was not his girlfriend. His girlfriend was Gwen Stacy." Um. And I said I learnt about who to kill off from Milton Caniff. Right. So this is important. We're just going to take a quick sidebar. Milton Caniff was a very successful 
cartoonists in America who had action-adventure strips that ran in uh, newspapers all over the country for like 40, 50 years. One of his big hits was a full-page, I think it was a full-page newspaper strip or half-page newspaper strip called um, Terry and the Pirates, action-adventure story about pirates. So John Romita, (laughs) that's who John Romita's talking about. He said, Milton Caniff, every three or four years, would kill off an important character. In his newspaper strip. Mm. I remember as a young boy hearing adults saying, did you see that Raven Sherman has been killed in Terry and the Pirates? <laughs> and I I said to myself as a kid, oh my God, grown-ups are talking about Terry and the Pirates. Yeah. They worried about Raven Sherman, who was the girlfriend of one of the characters. I didn't expect it to hurt grown-ups. It hurt me. I didn't expect it to hurt them. That stayed with me. I told Jerry Conway that story, and I said, if you want to kill somebody, kill somebody important or just leave it alone. When people say to me, um, did you really want to kill Gwen Stacy? I say, she was one of my favourite characters. She was a Steve Ditko character. Um, I created Mary Jane, but Gwen Stacy was my favourite character, and I did that still, I still did that, knowing that that's how we could get people's attention. That's Mm. how we could make them hurt. I do find it fascinating, and I like it an awful lot, to hear writers and artists and creators talking about, to do this story properly, we have to work out the best way to hurt the audience and isn't that just true of so many great stories what are some great stories without without that pain you that need bittersweet that. pain of something you like being taken yeah. away you you need i i, th- I think I, I think that lends so much so much to a story if you have if you have that kind of thing otherwise if it, if you don't really have much like uh, danger or consequence Little by little, you start going. Yeah, this is too too comfortable, too yeah, you know, unsurprising. And I think the the secret to Marvel and especially mm. Spider Man is that Marvel and Spider Man they tend to always break your heart. Yeah, and without giving any spoilers whatsoever, somebody talked about a sad thing that happens in the new Spider Man movie and how oh. they didn't like it. And I said, but you just. It, Spider-Man is suffering. Yeah, Marvel is about breaking your heart. So there oh, we go. I, I don't want... We'll, we'll talk about it in the episode, but the ending to the last Spider-Man film, I, I never felt so conflicted watching a Marvel film at the end. It was just... It was a weird emotion. But we'll talk about it then. There we go. Writer mm. Jerry Conway gave an interview in 2012 about killing off Gwen Stacy, the death of Gwen Stacy. And he doesn't have quite as many fond thoughts about her as... John as um, John Romita did he said she was a non-entity just a pretty face <laughs> she brought nothing to the mix it made no sense to me that Peter Parker would end up with a babe like that who had no problems only a damaged person would end up with a damaged guy like Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy was perfect it was basically Stan Lee fulfilling Stan's own fantasy Stan married a woman who was pretty much a babe. Joan Lee was a very attractive blonde woman who was obviously Stan's ideal woman. And I think Gwen (laughs) Stacy was simply Stan replicating his life. Just like Sue Storm was a replication of his wife as well. And that's where Stan's blind spot was. 
The amazing thing was that he created a character like Mary Jane Watson, who was probably the most interesting female character in comics, and he never used her to the extent that he could have. Instead of Peter Parker's girlfriend, he made her the best friend's girlfriend. Um, I would say go back to some of our earlier Spider-Man episodes, um, Spider-Man, I guess, 1 and maybe 2, because I like to think there's a lot more depth into why Mary Jane is such a brilliant groundbreaking character in the 1960s and the 70s as well um but certainly jerry con the way jerry conway feels is the way that all of the general public not all a lot of the general public felt they loved mary jane and wanted a lot more of her um conway also explained in interviews that peter parker and gwen stacy had become a perfect couple in the comics mm. so there was a lack of tension a lack of drama in the relationship two things which the spider-man soap opera really needs to thrive a committed young couple who are considering marriage all down to stanley's you know fondness for these two characters being together the next logical step according to conway was for them to get engaged and Peter Parker to reveal his secret identity and, you know, things that just seem to really undermine the kind of stories that Spider-Man is, is, is about telling. So, to him, getting rid of Gwen Stacy filled a bigger role. It would actually dig the creative team out of this hole mm. that Stan Lee, according to his feelings, had dug them into. It felt like they were using dynamite to get out of a hole. <laughs> well, yeah. Mm. Um Especially since at the time, as happens in this movie, mm. Gwen's talking about moving away to England. Like, yeah. And she does. You could have just left her there. Another key to the, the night Gwen Stacy died is that when this happened, Stan Lee, who you might think would be the man to say no, to put his foot down, and to stop it from happening, Stan Lee was not in the country. <laughs> he was away on a business like Quick, when we stands about, away change the story. When we like, I said I said I said a few minutes ago this is like orchestrating a hit, right? <sighs> you wait for the perfect moment like when they took out JFK, you got to wait for all the right people to be in the right places and all the wrong people to be out but of the town. This doesn't sound tactical. This is the clock the teachers left the classroom quick do it. <laughs> but it ends in death. Will. <laughs> I do. So stands away on a business trip in Europe, and when he arrives back in America, he finds out that Gwen Stacy, one of his favourite characters that is based on his wife, we believe, (laughs) has been murdered. Stan was very upset. He said... And I, I wish I could do his voice. Um, when When I came back and found out that Gwen had been killed, I thought, why? Why would they do that to Gwen? Why would Jerry write anything like that? (laughs) The creative crew at Spider-Man had to actually remind Stan that they had spoken to him about this before he left the country. Now, this gets a little murky. Yeah, that's a bit murky. Stan says, I don't really remember. Yeah. But he's not calling them liars. And they said, yeah, we told him that we were thinking about killing off Gwen Stacy. And they did it on a day when Stan is in a rush... He's got a million things to do and he's packing his bags for Europe. 
And Stan says, if it happened that way, then basically, without really hearing them or thinking oh. about it, I, I just rushed them out of the office saying, do whatever you think is best, as I'm packing my bags to go to Europe. So Incredible. Ramita uh, says, Stan was out of the country when we did that. He got back and accused us of doing it behind his back. He was angry. He was upset. He wanted us to immediately bring her back from the dead. Roy Thomas and I and everyone else in the company said, we can't do that, Stan. It would be an embarrassing silliness to bring her back. Mm. We talked him into it, but he was very upset. It would have been an embarrassing silliness simply because the raw emotion in the pages of those books when she is dead, it, you'd, it would be undermining that and stripping it away it was unlike any other death that had ever happened in in a marvel comic in any comic really um it's and it's a rare thing a death that has held up over time um she has never come back from the dead unlike bucky and all these others she's up there with uncle ben yeah i was about to say like so her and uncle ben the, uh, the i want to use the video game term permadeath <laughs> it used to be said the only deaths in comic books that stick are uh, Jason Todd, yep, Bucky, <laughs> Uncle Ben, and Gwen Stacy. And of that list, two of them came back in roughly the same year or eighteen months. Well, I know Jason Todd did, and um, Bucky, the Winter Soldier. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, because um, I know some Batman lore. I'll, I'll, I'll get into more of it hopefully. When? What? <laughs> well, I've got the DC Unlimited app now. Oh, right. I thought you meant you were going to start talking about Batman on this podcast. I was like, when is that going to happen? It feels like an intervention. Ha ha! We're actually going to talk about Batman. Batman. <laughs> in, 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 in death, Gwen Stacy becomes far more important to the Spider-Man stories than she ever was in life. Her death becomes just as important to Spider-Man and the stories and the mythos and the character as that of Uncle Ben. But not everyone was happy. Gwen's death shocked Spider-Man readers. Um, some appreciated it, but a lot were horrified because, again, they no one had ever seen anything like this before. There was a slew of letters being written in um, to the extent that in Amazing Spider-Man 125... October, the year that, that they killed off Gwen Stacy, an editorial comment and had to be added to the letters page to try and calm the readers down and explain why they had done this. Wow. It reads as follows. The relationship between Pete and Gwen had been through a lot of inconsequential ups and downs, and unless the two were to be married, there was nowhere else to take it. But marriage seemed wrong too. Here's the first example of the Peter Parker being too old problem. You've got to go into our Patreon and check out the um, the Clone Saga episode where we dive mm. a lot into that. Yes, um, Peter just wasn't ready so for marriage. So Jerry, Roy, and Stan debated the question. No, they didn't. Stan was out of the country, <laughs> <laughs> and all and 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 it doesn't mention John Romita who came up with the idea. All had reached the same inescapable conclusion. Gwen's death was simply fated to happen. Events had shaped themselves in such a way that their only logical resolution was tragedy. 
Events had shaped themselves in a story that we make up and decide what happens in. <laughs> in a, in a, in a, in a stories that where we choose what happens, events have shaped themselves, guys. It's out of our hands. Unreal. So don't blame Jerry, don't blame Stan, don't blame anyone. Only the inscrutable, inexorable workings of circumstances are culpable this time. Begging the audiences not to turn on them by claiming there's some hand of fate in a story that you come up with and decide what happens. That's incredible. Um, Ramita says, um, when talking about this, that even after that was published, they were still receiving death threats. <laughs> Bloody hell. So, the night Gwen Stacy died. One of the great things about the character of Spider-Man is that his stories are almost all about the duality of the human condition, mm. right? So there's a, there's a trope you see a lot in, in sci-fi and superhero stories, and there's a line that recurs, and it's something like, oh, these powers are also my curse. Yeah. And that's normally a BS line that doesn't mean anything. Spider-Man's powers are not his curse. His curse is the painful lesson taught to him by his uncle mm. his curse is knowing his responsibility to the rest of the world and the duality represented by spider-man in these stories is the conflict that we all go through the conflict of the human condition right it's our hearts the conflict between our hearts what we want to have and hold on to for ourselves for selfish reasons and our responsibilities the the moral and ethical ways we are tied to each other the, the the responsibility we owe to the people around us and our community and our, and our, and our society. Spider-Man stories feature Peter Parker sacrificing something he wants. Money, a job, a date, friendship, in order to fulfill his moral responsibility to the rest of the world by, by running off and uh, saving lives and being Spider-Man. And, and throughout this conflict, the one thing that he knows... Is that his life is dangerous. It is mentioned so many times. Whenever his secret identity comes up. Right. Mm. It is dangerous to the people around him. That's why he has to guard and protect this identity. That's why he never reveals it. And he, why he breaks off relationships time and again. Even with people that don't know anything about Spider-Man. He's just too dangerous for them to be close to him. But not with Gwen Stacy. Because... She is the first person in his life that he's ever loved. And up until 1973, the things that Peter Parker has to sacrifice because of his responsibilities are small and childish. Mm. Monies, parties, dates, job, fame and adulation, which is where we start with Spider-Man. But with the death of Gwen Stacy... Peter Parker enters this this grown-up world where the sacrifices of of his dangerous life the sacrifices of his moral responsibility will be the things that he cares about and that he loves the most. Thanks for joining us as we revisit some of our favorite moments from Marvel versus Marvel. 
Don't forget our full-length episodes are jam-packed with hours of Marvel trivia, behind the page, behind the scenes, and comic book Marvel history. Marvel.